Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and integrated well-being. Let's get to it. Here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. Today we are talking about a subject that is near and dear to my heart and my brain, and that is new frontiers of mood management, mental health, and what's next in terms of how the medical profession is researching and helping people with depression. For those of you that don't know, I am a reformed depressed person that... um, really has worked very hard to maintain a positive lifestyle and a sense of well-being in spite of being blessed with DNA that might not necessarily lend itself to being a happy person. And with me today is Dr. David Feifel. He has earned a medical degree and a PhD in neurobiology from the University of Toronto, Canada. He completed an internship in internal medicine at Toronto General Hospital and his residency training in psychiatry at the University of California, San Diego, where he currently holds the rank of full professor. And Dr. Feifel has a a lot of qualifications and focus in the study of depression, ADHD, mood disorders, anxiety management, and he's come to talk to us today about what's on the horizon. And there are a couple of really exciting Um, areas that are showing great promise in the treatment of depression. Welcome, Dr. Feifel. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, well, this is a pleasure. And this is uh, something, you know, I often ask my clients, I I do a lot of addiction and trauma recovery, and I ask them what they want to know about. And the the younger clients all want to know about ketamine. (laughs) (laughs) It is, a, it is a very uh, interesting and uh, yeah, a, a very unconventional development for, for psychiatrists, let's put it that way. Well, let's talk about, first of all, just the scope of the problem of clinical depression, because depression really is rampant. Um, loneliness in, in society, particularly in, in, in the Western world, I think 
really is is an epidemic and we focused on that in the past but but depression when it's you know when it's in our dna when we come from a family a line where there is depression how how do we get ourselves help? What are some of the, the, the things that we can do that would bring us to someone like you or a center like yours where we can get help? Well, I think one of the, uh, one of the first things is to be able to recognize um, when, uh, when somebody is suffering, whether it's yourself or, or one of your loved ones, when somebody is suffering from depression, um, that, that really is um, you know, beyond sort of what, what the, we colloquial talk about, uh, you know, being down or having a dour personality, it really is sort of a, a clinical uh, dysfunction where the capacity to feel uh, pleasure, uh, the, the centers in the brain uh, that, that allow us to, you know, look forward to things and to be excited about things, even when, when things aren't so rosy, um, those, those, those centers start to shut down and what all the richness of life starts to kind of go away and everything becomes very dark and drab. So I guess I would say the first thing is to recognize when something is just not right. This is not the way uh, sort of quote unquote a normal person should feel. And uh, that leads one to, to start asking, you know, how to get help. And this brings up a very good point. We're not talking about the blues. We're not talking about situational depression or sadness where someone dies or someone's going through a difficult period of time. Maybe they've lost their job or they're going through a divorce. We're talking about something that is pervasive, ongoing, um, that life is not um, able to be viewed or experienced in color. Exactly right. Exactly right. This is, you know, unfortunately, the uh, depression... Is used in two ways. It's it's used, you know, in gosh, I'm really depressed. My team lost yesterday, kind of a way where we know we, we really mean this is sort of just a, I'm just feeling just temporarily a little bit down because of a kind of a normal disappointment. Uh, um, and we also use it when we talk about uh, you know the clinical uh, medical condition, which is technically we call it you know, clinical depression, major depression. Uh, but, but there we're talking about a very different thing. We're talking about a pervasive uh, uh, decrease in ability to kind of, you know, just have our brain function normally and feel the normal uh, ups and downs of life. And would you uh, agree or disagree that part of the problem with um, the lack of sufficient treatment available today is in part due to the stigma? Yes, absolutely. I, I think I think it's something that I've seen uh, in, in, over my career get better, but it's there's no doubt about it that it remains a major hurdle to um, uh, to people you know, seeking out appropriate treatment and getting better. I think it is something that uh, people are not as comfortable admitting to as they would, for example, if they if they started to have symptoms of uh, of, of, of cardiovascular disease or metabolic disease or or anything like that. So it remains sort of somewhat apart from, from other uh, organ dysfunctions, if you will. And, and, and the destigmatization of depression and making it okay for people to seek treatment, I think, will improve largely in part to more being written and, and, and produced about it in the media. People who do have depression coming forward and talking about their own successful experiences um, uh, how they got better, you know, that it's really okay. You can, you can be depressed and you can get better. Absolutely. I, I, think, I think the role of the media and celebrities and so forth is, is just huge because I think that people, you know, uh, look, look, look 
to, towards them for what is normal and what is, uh, you know, what is okay to, to, to admit. And here's the interesting part that in, in when, when uh, people who are treating um, clients in a clinical setting, you know, the old school paradigm is, is the clinician doesn't self-disclose, right? It, it, they're supposed to be sort of the, the neutral um, conduit for the work to occur. However, in my own practice in working with clients who are in, in some cases experiencing severe depression, when I made the choice to begin to disclose about my own challenges in the past, something shifted in them in that they were able to see hope. They were able to see possibility. Yes, I think, I think that's actually very powerful and that sort of uh, that paradigm of sort of uh, aloofness I think is, 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 is starting to give way to a more, a more kind of realistic uh, uh, expectation of uh, the, 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 the uh, doctor, the therapist, uh, patient relationship. And, uh, and uh, I, th- I think, uh, I think uh, uh, you know, being, being just being a, you know, a fellow human being also is, is, is an important part of the therapy process. Probably, uh, you know, I wouldn't say probably for sure, not just in psychiatry or psychology, but uh, in, in medicine in general, so I think I think I think in, in some respect our, our patients want to see us as 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 having more knowledge and uh, uh, and uh, wisdom than them, but they also want to see us at the same time as as humans uh, as well, with the same kind of vulnerabilities and, uh, and challenges. And I believe that sort of taps into trust. You know that we we begin to trust people when we have proof that what they are saying. Has value, and then it, and then that that it is um, actually true. They can see somebody who says, you know, I've had terrible depression, and I've been able to get through it. Here's how you too possess the tools and resources, and you've outsourced support to get yourself help, and you too will get there. You need to stay the course. You need to work through whatever treatment protocol you've developed with your clinicians, but there is hope. Um, and, and really, that's what I want to talk about, too, now is tapping into hope. And we started the conversation talking about the drug ketamine. And I would love, before we go to break in a couple of minutes, I'd love to tell our listeners a little bit about this drug, because many of them may not be aware of its original uses, the recreational uses that young people love so much, and then um, how it has evolved into being prescribed. Well, sure. Yeah. Well, ketamine is is uh, is really, uh, although it's it, it's, it's seeing uh, a completely new life uh, in terms of treating people with uh, psychiatric illness, uh, it's really an old uh, medication. It's been around, I think, since the 1960s. Uh, developed um, as an, an anesthetic, and it, it's it's an anesthetic that continues to be highly used today uh, in every major hospital and outpatient outpatient surgical. Uh, you know, sweet. I think that you'll find ketamine being used because it's a very, very useful um, agent in, uh, in, in uh, putting people to sleep for surgical procedures. And um, and you mentioned the uh, sort of I think the, the street use of ketamine was discovered uh, by people that it also has um, some very uh, interesting. Let's put it this way: recreational. Uh, property, so it's, it goes by the street name of the Special K and other things because it produces a psychedelic kind of experience at doses that are lower, um, obviously, than the, the doses that uh, doctors and anesthesiologists use to put people out. Uh, about um, about uh, 15 years ago, um, uh, 
um, a, a group out of the Mount Sinai uh, Hospital in New York City did a, did a study where they were, where they were looking at um, they were interested in the pharmacological properties of uh, of, of ketamine. It's, it represents a, uh, a category of drug that uh, that modifies a chemical system in the brain that's uh, that's very important. So they were they, they really had very uh, scientific. Uh, uh, goals to find out what happens to people when you modify this chemical system, and so they did a small study where they took people with uh, with depression, uh, typically people who, had, who have, had not responded to other medications, and they infused ketamine at very low doses, and they were really surprised to see that um, a large percentage of those patients experienced a very rapid improvement in their depression, and that started off uh, a great interest in it. This is amazing. We're going to go to a break, and when we come back, we'll carry on the discussion. I want to direct our listeners to you at UCSD to learn more about Dr. David Feifel. Please go to um, profiles. Is it profiles.ucsd.edu slash David Feifel? And the um, no, David.feifel, F E I F E L. I will repeat the contact information um, later on in the show. We will take that break. And you do clinical research on campus, and you are researching um, uh, ketamine as well as TMS, correct? That's correct, yes. And we're going to come back and talk about transcranial magnetic stimulation and the promise that it holds for treatment-resistant depression. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Love to read? Looking to harvest your happiness? Then look no further. Lisa Cypress Kamen is an author of three amazing books that will assist in taking your well-being and self-mastery to the next level. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life offers breakthrough strategies for creating your own personal happiness revolution. Perspectives on Addiction, an Integrated Journey to Wellness is an overview of the recovery process from a multi-stepped perspective and holistic approach of substance abuse and lifestyle management. Through her third book, Reintegration Strategies for Depression, Anxiety, Anger, Grief, and Post-Traumatic Stress, offers an own nonsense approach to dealing with post-combat civilian life reintegration issues for veterans and their families. You'll find these books online at Amazon.com and HarvestingHappiness.com. Mindful meditative moments are free and relaxing on-the-spot mini staycation journeys designed to calm the mind and soothe the body from the comfort of wherever you are. No reservations or travel required. Check out the playlists on HarvestingHappiness.com and Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes and SoundCloud. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about depression, the opposite of happiness, I guess, is what it would be. And we're talking about 
frontiers, the new frontiers and treatments that are available for the clinically depressed when traditional treatments fail or become less effective. And with me is Dr. David Feifel. He is uh, at the University of California at San Diego Medical Center. He heads a clinical research program at UCSD and is evaluating the efficacy of new drugs or old drugs, I should say, like ketamine or Special K is its recreational drug use name in the treatment of depression and also new things that are on the horizon, such as transcranial magnetic stimulation, also known as TMS. And we'll get into TMS in a moment, but I just wanted to wrap up the thoughts that David has on ketamine and why it is such a valuable drug in the research that you're doing now. Dr. Feifel, please just carry on about, about ketamine. Well, um, I should clarify, by the way, that we are both doing research and also uh, we're one of the first um, uh, places, I think, to go beyond the, just the, uh, the research and actually offer uh, ketamine to, uh, to patients uh, as, a, as a treatment. Um, so I, I think that I think what, what drives a lot of the excitement uh, about ketamine is that um, you know our, our field of psychiatry um, has been frustrated for, for for quite a long time in that we have not uh, we've had we've not had anything new to offer patients. Um, medications uh, do come out and um, uh, and are, are marketed, but essentially for really since the first first uh, established antidepressants were uh, were developed in the 60s. These antidepressants uh, aren't that uh, different from each other. The efficacy rates are quite similar, and um, so we have a, a, a whole slew of, uh, of, of, of medications uh, created by the pharmaceutical industry. And uh, unfortunately, there's a, a very large percentage of people with clinical depression that do not uh, benefit from that. So we so we have this group of people called uh, that we refer to as having treatment-resistant depression or TRD. And, um, uh, and, and for, for a long time, there was really not a lot of options other than uh, ECT, or what uh, is, is sometimes locally referred to as shock therapy uh, for them, which is a big sort of step forward. It's very invasive, uh, has a lot of side effects. And then it was discovered that ketamine, uh, through this uh, study that I had mentioned, had this remarkable ability to uh, produce rapid improvement in depression within hours in some cases, which is something we've never seen in depression. Our treatments all, all take a while to, to kick in, and here was something that worked right away. And um, so we began started starting to research this and also starting to offer it to patients who were in that TRD category. And it's been quite remarkable. Um, there, it's, it's, not, it's not a panacea. This is not a drug that's, uh, you know, it's a cure-all for, for depression or Anything else, but um, but but many uh, many patients who really uh, had no hope and were not responding to other things um, are, are getting relief uh, from from ketamine. What's interesting about it is that its antidepressant um, use uh, requires that it be given at, at doses that are much lower than the doses traditionally used for anesthesiology to put people to sleep, for example, for a surgery. And at those lower doses, uh, people have a psychedelic trip. So we administer it, to, uh, you know, in the clinic or in the hospital, and patients uh, will, you know, have a you know, 30 to 45 minute uh, uh, trip where they 
we call it, the, 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 the type of trip is called a dissociative trip, where they're, uh, where they're feeling that their, their, their consciousness and their body are disconnected, and they, uh, they often mm. feel like they're, 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 their consciousness is floating, and there's often a very positive, uh, relaxing feeling, and they often feel that they, they, they have insight into the nature of the universe. It's kind of a, uh, an experience that many people describe as spiritual or like uh, or very godlike, where they feel very, uh, uh, they lose their sense of self and become very one with the universe. The trip is, the, the trip ends and they, and, and ketamine washes out very quickly and they're able to uh, then, you know, uh, go home with, uh, uh, with under the supervision of, uh, of somebody and, uh, and, and often within, uh, uh, within 24 hours, uh, if, not, if not immediately with the trip itself, they will experience a very dramatic uh, improvement in their depression. Now the big, uh, I was going to just add that the very the, the big limitation to ketamine that we're all struggling with is the fact that these benefits will only last uh, a short period of time, anywhere from a couple of days to uh, a couple of weeks, and in some cases maybe uh, you know over a month from a single treatment. So patients do need to come back and get boosters uh, as it stands now to get to continue. So what what I wanted to just um ask you is you run a neuropsychopharmacology laboratory on campus at UCSD Medical Center. If somebody wants to explore the uses of ketamine for their depression, would they be able to come into your program? How would one seek, seek this out to find you or access to the treatment? Well, we have a, we, we, we have a, uh, an email address where, where uh, they, can, uh, they can email us. My team will uh, will receive the email and provide them information about you know um, how you know how to move forward in terms of uh, you know filling out some forms and then coming in for an intake and so forth and uh, I can give you that uh, that uh, email address if you want. To, uh, yes, I would. I would love to share it because I mean this is really uh, offering hope for relief for many who up until now perhaps have been hopeless. I mean, certainly this is what I see in the clients that I work with. You know, those who are challenged by addiction will ultimately say, you know, that depression is where it started for them, you know, and they were trying to find relief when they couldn't have relief in conventional treatment. The antidepressants were not working. And um, ECT, like you mentioned prior, is such an invasive option with with side effects. And I do know this firsthand because I've had family members who have gone through it um, in terms of uh, memory loss and just kind of a a general slow factor or malaise that is present uh, after the treatments. It's it's hard. And so ketamine does offer some hope. And the other area that I'm really excited to talk with you about is transcranial magnetic stimulation, also known as TMS. Um, most people do not know of this uh, treatment, uh, how it works, and how to find the treatment. Yes, TMS really uh, is um, uh, revolutionary. Uh, I, I think along with ketamine, it is the other thing that's that's really... Uh, exciting in the field of psychiatry in terms of uh, breakthroughs after a long period of, uh, of uh, relatively few advances. Now, TMS is a paradigm shift in the way uh, we go about treating uh, depression and in the future we think other psychiatric illnesses in that it, 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 it's, it's non-pharmacological 
it's, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't sort of rely on changing, uh, directly changing the chemical yeah, imbalance in the brain, which is sort of kind of a, a storyline that I think has become very popularized about depression being a chemical imbalance, which is really the truth. The dirty little secret is uh, that um, there's no scientific evidence for it. Um, um, what, what there is evidence for it is Can that you just say it, that again? Because that's really important. <clears throat> That it, the, it, it, in the past or up until now, people have considered depression a, 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 a hormonal or chemical imbalance in the body. And what I heard you just say is that, uh, that there, there's no proof of that. That's correct. That's, that, that, that unfortunately is a nice, uh, a nice story, a nice narrative. Um, but, uh, but we've known for a long time that the whole notion that, that there's some missing chemical or some low chemical in the brain is absolutely uh, not substantiated by, by, by the scientific evidence. Uh, people, people have been looking for chemical abnormalities at, after for half a century, not, uh, not found any. Um, we, we, uh, I, think, I think it's largely driven by the fact that you know, medications were discovered uh, initially by serendipity um, to, to, to help in, uh, in depression and other, uh, other uh, psychiatric conditions. And therefore, the corollary of that was the assumption that, well, you know, that must mean that the depression itself is, uh, if it can be improved by, by, by drugs, it must be somehow a chemically related um, uh, condition that's causing it. And since these drugs boost a certain category of medication, uh, I'm sorry, of chemicals in the brain called uh, monoamines, which are things like serotonin, which many people I think have heard of, and dopamine and noradrenaline. Because of that, there was an assumption that uh, uh, depression must must represent abnormally uh, low, low, uh, low levels. Well, we've we've never found low levels of those chemicals in people's brains. Uh, when we when we can actually experimentally lower those levels, people don't become depressed. And the other thing is that the medications boost those le boost levels of those of those chemicals within hours, but they don't improve depression within hours. So all those things really uh, indicate that. Um, you know, this is not really uh, a straightforward, nice, uh, you know, tied up storyline. Yeah. Sounds like. Um, so, with ketamine, you know, we now know that it is administered as an inpatient process, or if, uh, you go into hospital for a period of time to receive the treatment. What about transcranial magnetic stimulation? Is that done on an outpatient basis? And and how many treatments generally are required to have some responsiveness? Yes, TMS is done on an outpatient basis. Um, uh, it, the, the, the protocols uh, that are, are are used today, and it's a very it's a, it's a, it's a continuously uh, changing uh, field. Uh, um, are that people come in every single day for about a, a thirty to forty minute uh, treatment uh, for four to six weeks. And the uh, the difference here is what we do. What we are, we're targeting are uh, circuits, brain circuits, uh, in, um, that, that we know fire abnormally in depression. So um, these the, the, the device uh, uses uh, pulsed magnets to to physically uh, coax those brain circuits to to increase their natural firing rate. The way they, they that we see that they do in people who don't have depression, um, and over time, it, it's sort of like a, it's sort of like a um, physical uh, personal trainer for brain cells that are are, are, are a little bit too sedentary, um, and in a specific part of the brain, the left frontal part of the brain, this is really where we um, 
uh, we target. So um, over time, those brain circuits um, start to fire on their own, uh, just like uh, just like a, you know a person who is sedentary uh, after several weeks of being kind of coached to 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 exercise by a trainer will start to feel uh, you know uh, more motivated and uh, more fit and start to kind of work out on their own. And then we see people uh, typically start to recover from depression. Dr. Feifel, we are out of time. And I, uh, right now, want to invite you to come back because I think what you have to share is so valuable. And if we can help in any way to get this information out, I want to do more of this. Um, uh, before we go, I want to give uh, the website to find out more about you and what you do, and that would be http colon double backslash profiles.ucsd.edu uh, slash david.feifel, F-E-I-F-E-L. And you can also probably get to him by Googling Dr. David Feifel, who is a founding director of the UCSD Adult ADHD Program, the UCSD Transcranial Magnetic Stimulation Program, and the Center for Advanced Treatment of Mood and Anxiety Disorders. And that would be where the ketamine information would lie. David, thank you so much for being with us. And um, will you come back, share more? I absolutely will. I'll be delighted to. Oh, great. We will, we're going to make that a date. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Remember what it feels like to receive a gift? We all know nothing gives happiness like a present, so you should unwrap yours at harvestinghappiness.com and sign up to receive your free ebook, Got Happiness Now, that offers simple, user friendly ways to get greater happiness in your world each and every day. That's harvestinghappiness.com. Lisa Cypress-Kamen has built an impressive global lifestyle management consulting company offering applied positive psychology, mindfulness, and integrated well-being coaching. Her services, including addiction and trauma recovery support, as well as life crisis triage, are available worldwide through phone, video, and on-site. In addition, Lisa delivers workshops, lectures, and trainings to corporations and institutions and is a frequent guest expert on many prominent radio and TV shows. Connect with us at Harvesting Happiness for more information. Harvesting Happiness for Heroes is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation offering innovative and integrated stigma-free combat recovery services to veterans and their loved ones with programming that focuses on the transformation of post-traumatic stress into post-traumatic growth using scientifically proven positive psychology coaching tools and strategies that increase self-mastery, self-awareness, and self-esteem to help heal the invisible wounds of war. To make a tax-free charitable contribution or to learn more, please visit visit hh4heroes.org. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. 
Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast because sharing is caring. And we're talking about something really important today. We're talking about depression, well-being, the new frontier of treatments to uh, work with clients and patients who have become resistant to traditional treatments. And we're also talking just about happiness and general well-being. I mean, how do we help somebody turn the lights on or, or, or create a more vibrant and joyful life. And my guest now is doing just that. Dr. Doug Lyle received his PhD from the University of Virginia and taught at Stanford University before becoming the director of research for the True North Health Center in Northern California. He is the co-author of The Pleasure Trap, Mastering the Hidden Force that Undermines Health and Happiness. Dr. Lyle also serves as the psychologist for the McDougal Wellness Program and is in private practice in Santa Rosa, California. He is the founder of a new perspective in motivational psychology called Esteem Dynamics. Welcome, Dr. Lyle. A pleasure to be here, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's, it's really a pleasure. And I love the fact that you are talking about this, the subject of pleasure head on because us humans, we human beings, are like pleasure-seeking missiles. That's all we want. That's what our brains are wired to do. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. Right? Mm-hmm. That's, all we that's, that's correct. And eliminate discomfort. Yes. Yeah, we're basically designed by nature to seek pleasure, avoid pain, and conserve energy. And so we're essentially, if you just th- think about a, a biological system, uh, whose job it is to navigate its landscape as intelligently as possible. It's designed by nature to use cues from the environment in order to know whether or not it's doing a good job as a biological entity. And the way you find out is whether things feel good or whether they feel bad. And so wired into us is a high sensitivity to certain uh, environmental inputs, particularly food sex, that are going to tell us that we're doing things that are biologically profitable. And then we're also designed also with a tremendous laziness, essentially a whole set of very sophisticated systems allowing us to take every possible shortcut in order to get to those pleasures or to avoid that pain. And that is why uh, now in the modern world, the world looks the way it does. As people seek pleasure and avoid pain and conserve energy, they wind up with a host of problems that they were never designed to have. Wow, there it is. That's the gospel. I mean, that, that, was, a, that was a mouthful, but really says it all. And, and by laziness, is it truly laziness or is it a form of learned helplessness or both? No, it's, uh, it's actually, it's really neither. What it is, is it's a, it's a natural uh, system that is basically designed by nature to conserve every possible impulse that you can uh, to not have to contract any more muscles than you have to contract. So that's why, for example, when people go to the gym, they'll a lot of times fuss around in the parking lot trying to get a better spot. They, uh, they're, they're trying to save a little bit of energy on their way literally into the place where they're going to be expending a bunch of energy. This is just natural. This is why you know, geese will fly in the, in the characteristic V pattern that they fly in to draft on each other. That's why fish swim in school. That's why every creature that you see uh, has a whole host of sophisticated mechanisms in order to save energy. And in humans, that just means in the modern day, uh, instead of actually going out there and have to hustle for our food, all we have to do is go through a drive through restaurant and we can be handed a day's worth of food for, in about five minutes. This is fascinating. 
So what you're saying, we're driven by food, we're driven by sex, we're driven by conserving energy. And is this why people have such a hard time making healthy changes in their lives? This they say exact- they want it. <laughs> yes, this is precisely why it is that they're having the problem. Psychologists are, and lay people are way overanalyzing this problem. They're looking at it through the wrong set of glasses. They look at people as, as they watch people and they say, look, this person would like to go on a diet. They'd like to eat healthier food. They'd like to exercise more, but they're not doing it. They must have some underlying motivational problem that is stopping them. That is incorrect. What they have is they, have, they are behaving exactly appropriately according to the genetic code. It's the environment that has changed. And so because the environment has changed so radically – uh, major mistakes and repetitive mistakes are inexorable. There's going to be no stopping them unless you consciously override and understand the, the problem that you're facing. And the problem that you're facing is the natural psychology of all species, including our own, which is to pursue pleasure, avoid pain, and conserve energy. This is fantastic because one thing we do know, if it's in our DNA to, to attempt to conserve energy or it's in the way our brain is wired is really what I meant to say, mm-hmm. that when we talk about the ability of the brain to learn new tricks, you know, teach the old dog new tricks and neuroplasticity, the good news is that something can be done to change perhaps the way the brain reacts to the need to conserve energy. Well, I'll tell you this that certain things you're not going to change. And I have to tell you, the concept of neuroplasticity is, is vastly overblown. The truth of the matter is, is that the, the vast majority of what human beings are doing and how it is that they feel and what it is that they do and the choices they make are being run by the genetic code, and that's not going to change. Now, what you can do is that you can actually learn where there are traps in the modern environment that are actually goading your natural motivational system into the problem. So, for example, you, you can learn uh, which foods are actually dangerous long-term, even though they seem like they're a great thing in the short-term. And you can, if you avoid those repetitively, what will happen is your taste buds will become more acute. They'll actually become more sensitive. And so that healthy-tasting food will p- taste better the longer you go about doing that. But you're, you're never going to change your system into not enjoying what we're going to call supernormal stimuli. And supernormal stimuli are stimuli that were never before on the planet. And what they are is they are concoctions of ingenious human beings to try to make uh, what were natural stimuli now beyond natural. And that's what a chocolate shake is. That's what a French fry is. That's what cigarettes are. And that's what heroin is. These are all supernormal stimuli and they are hijacking the uh, genetic systems and giving supernormal positive feedback to the system and they're therefore causing addictive processes. Amazing. You know, and, and just as you were talking about the, the, the milkshakes and the French fries, my mind immediately went to heroin. You know, the, 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 uh, you know, and that's an, an extreme form that when someone is, becomes addicted to heroin, the, the desire and the pleasure received from that heroin takes number one position in the brain, right, in terms of the pleasure center. That's it. Yes, it pushes everything else out. So one of the first things you'll see in heroin addiction is that people become completely uninterested in sex. Because sex, you actually have to do a bunch of stuff. You got to like entice people and buy them dinner, and then <laughs> and there's a bunch of humping and pumping involved, and like that's like way too much trouble. The truth is, is if you can get the same 
cascade, neurochemical cascade from just ingesting a substance, then uh, in this case, if you can stand a needle, then the truth of the matter is, is that that rush then becomes extremely easy. And not only that, it's not just competitive with the rush of orgasm, it is greater than the rush of orgasm. It's estimated that a, a big hit of heroin or morphine can have 10 times the endorphin storm of what happens in orgasm. So once a person has experienced that, it is very difficult to talk them out of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking about what you said. I'm like, you know what? That makes perfect sense. And in terms of, you know, somebody who is addicted to drugs, that they receive that same sense of pleasure without the connection, and yet the lack of connection or disconnection from humanity and loving good relationships um, is taking them even to a deep, deeper and darker place. Yes. In other words, what's happening is, is the following, that in our nature, uh, happiness, moods of happiness are actually a guidance system that worked with pleasure. So in other words, you're supposed to, uh, you're supposed to actually, when, when a guy takes a girl out in his college class and uh, they, they go to El Torito, uh, what they're doing is, is that he's flirting with her, he's talking to her, and when she laughs and gives him good feedback, it creates moods of happiness in him. It actually lets him know that he's getting closer to the ultimate treasure that he's after, which is what he's ultimately <laughs> after is the sexual activity. But right. the moods of happiness are a critical part of the experience, that they're a guidance system that helps him along the way. And if he makes a crass statement and she scowls, then it creates a mood of unhappiness inside of him. So he actually then goes the other direction. And the mood of unhappiness is a signaling system that tells him that he's being ineffective. So now he needs to switch his strategy back to a, a different strategy, and he's looking for cues from her that he's being successful. So the moods of happiness, what they are, is they're actually the secondary guidance system that works for complex organisms on their way to important biological goals like food and sex. And what they are is they're actually, they're actually most of the journey. They're the great majority of what actually the, the pleasant experiences are. And if we use supernormal stimuli um, like drugs and like drug-like foods, what happens is we are short-circuiting our way to the pleasure, but we are bypassing the moods of happiness, which is really the best of what the most of what the best of life has to offer. Fascinating, and and I'm just tracking with what you're saying about the guy that takes the girl for the date and and the, the anticipation of the pleasure that's forthcoming. And in that connection process, in that dance, right, there's, there, is there not oxytocin being released in the brain, which is a bonding chemical. It makes us feel good when we're in the presence of another person. Some of us get it out of a bottle, but ultimately it comes from, you know, good, connected, loving relationships. Yes, what we're really after for in this life is esteem that what we're actually trying to get is we're trying to get the experience of being esteemed or valued by other people. This is uh, how it is that humans work. And so if you bypass this with, um, with chocolate cheesecake or, uh, in order to try to get, get a hit that way very quickly, rather than essentially earn your way to esteem dynamics uh, between you and other people, then you're going to uh, undermine the happiness process. And that's why we got a lot of people that are less happy than they could be. We are going to go to a break. And when we come back, we are going to get 
into Esteem Dynamics, which you are the founder of this new perspective in motivational psychology. To learn more about Dr. Doug Lyle, please visit his website, esteemdynamics.org, and you can connect with him on Twitter at Dr. Doug Lyle, and that's L-I-S-L-E. Once again, the book is The Pleasure Trap, Mastering the Hidden Force That Undermines Health and Happiness. Here come those tunes. We'll be right back. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Lisa Cypress-Kamen author of Got Happiness Now, is also a prestigious TEDx presenter. Her talks, The Mysteries of Fear and the Inversion Theory of Joy, can be found online at TED.com and on the Harvesting Happiness YouTube channel. Be a part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the Medical Center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Check out the critically acclaimed documentary film, H-Factor, Where is Your Heart? An insightful visual journey from Lisa Cypress-Kamen, showing that every person possesses the means to be happy. Follow Lisa and her nine-year-old daughter, Kayla, as they travel the world on the hunt for the universal keys to human happiness. Their question? What makes you happy? Discover the origins of human happiness, where to find it, create it, and keep it. Find it in our shop at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? It's kind, it's free, it's legal, and we are talking about pleasure. Really, the impulse that drives us with Dr. Doug Lyle. He is the author of The Pleasure Trap, Mastering the Hidden Force that Undermines Health and Happiness. Prior to the break, he began to introduce the concept of esteem dynamics. He is the founder of this new perspective in motivational psychology, which basically helps the individual to overcome or better manage the the um, dr- what drives us. You know, um, food, sex, and conserving energy is what Doug said is really what we're all about as human beings. And that conservation of energy can be perceived as laziness. But at the heart of the matter and at the heart of human happiness is 
esteem, right? Being connected, being appreciated, being valued for who we are as the individual. Doug, talk a little bit about esteem dynamics. Yes, um, esteem dynamics is sort of the, the insight that what human beings value is to be valued by other people. We were designed by nature to live in Stone Age villages with probably 30 or 40 other people. And the only uh, way that you could store any kind of value for the future, there was no way to, there was no money, and there was no way to uh, have a locker out there to store uh, food or goods or anything else uh, uh, under the sun. So the only thing that you could store was your reputation. And your reputation uh, was all about what is the cost benefit that you bring to the village. So the only way that you could actually uh, help yourself, let's suppose that one day you might have a broken leg and you might need a bunch of help. You would have needed to have had a bunch of people in the village feel like that you were more benefit than you were cost. Because if you're more cost than you are benefit, then there's no point in having you around and saving you. So if you were if you had a track record of being more benefit than cost, then you would be worth saving and you'd be worth mobilizing energy in order to help you. So this is what I call Stone Age money. And it was the only, the only way to actually improve your circumstances of the future by working on something today. And so what we did was we figured out, we tried to figure out what other people valued and we gave it to them. And that might have been dancing, it might have been singing, it might have been tutoring, it might have been making food, it might have been hunting, it might have been defending the village, um, it might have just been being sexy. And so the bottom line is, is that what we do is we, we are designed by nature to search other people's eyes and their faces and their body language and their words. And we're looking for signs of approval. And we're designed by nature to try to do things in a way that other people approve or value. And when they do, we feel good. And psychologists have actually been very confused about this because their notion has been that we should not care that much about what other people think, that we should care about you know, what we're going to call our self-esteem. But the truth of the matter is, is experiments done by Mark Leary at Duke University have confirmed that our self-esteem tracks what other people are, are thinking about us. And so it's, uh, our, our happiness is highly dependent upon whether or not we're being effective about having other people value us. And there's nothing in the world wrong with that. Uh, and that's, uh, so it's important to understand that how good we feel about ourselves is highly dependent upon what other people feel and think about us. And what they think and feel about us is whether or not we are doing things or acting in ways that they consider valuable. And I think that is the crux or really the heart of the matter is, is what we are doing valuable? Is it constructive? Is it, is it um, leaving the world a better place than we have found it? I mean, this is how we make meaning out of our lives. So what somebody thinks about us based upon what we wear, right? Or um, necessarily what we say, maybe we have a slip up and we say some stupid joke. We're not really talking about that. And in that case, I do believe that it, it, that, that self-esteem de- dependent upon what others think of us do- doesn't really matter. But in terms of what we do with our lives and what we give and how we show up, I absolutely agree because it's the very basis of being interconnected and being, um, uh, uh Tribal is what you're saying, you know, collaborative yes. in, in the, way that we li- uh, the way that we live in the world. Yes, we are tribal. And it, uh, your, your tribe is usually not that large. It's usually no more than a couple of dozen people. And, um, and as you say, it's not that you care about what everybody in the world thinks. 
But esteem dynamics is the realization that our happiness results from earning esteem in the right way from the people that matter. And so those are three interrelated concepts, actually four. And that is happiness is moods that are designed by nature to uh, be activated when you are doing something that is statistically associated with increased likelihood of survival or reproduction. That is how it is designed. So happiness actually has an underlying biological purpose, and that biological purpose is, is biological success. Happiness is an unmistakable sign of biological success. We're designed by nature as humans to care a great deal about what other humans think of us. This is going to be what we call esteem dynamics. And so it, happiness is going to result from earning esteem, not just getting it. Okay, not just, not just having somebody tell us we're great when we're not great. Not just having someone tell us that we're beautiful when we're not beautiful, including looking in the mirror and telling, telling ourselves that we think are cool. This is not going to do it. That we're designed by nature to earn esteem. And by earning it, we have to figure out what the village values and then go to the hard work, competitive processes of giving it to them and trying to do a really good job of giving it to them. So we're designed by nature to earn esteem in the right way. And that means not by cheating, not by skipping steps, not by defrauding people, but authentically figuring out what can people use or what do people value and then going to the hard work of trying to figure out how to give it to them. And then finally, the third part of it is to the people that matter. The truth of the matter is, is if, you know, if, if you're in, working in Al Capone's time in south of Chicago, you know, we're not trying to get esteem from Al Capone by shooting people or torturing people of rival gangs. This is no way to live a good life. The, the idea here is, is that we want to figure out who are the people that matter to you and to earn their, their esteem by doing things in the correct way. And if we use this as the compass for our behavior over and over again, we will find that this is a very, very good uh, guidance system to help us uh, optimize our life experience. Indeed. I love the phrase village values. This is, this is terrific. Now, I, I spend a lot of my days working with people who are challenged by trauma, by addiction, and depression. I mean, the underlying, you know, issue that presents is, is they're depressed. Yes. And how, how would you suggest working with somebody who feels as though they just cannot get off the couch? Um, there is no light. There is no color. Life is pretty much in black and white and mostly in black. And they don't have a sense of, of um, meaning or how to get out of their own way. I mean, how, how do you, how do you um, instill this esteem dynamic in somebody who is already in a compromised place? Yes, it's important to realize that uh, depression is not the result of some kind of disease process of the brain. That's not what it is. Depression is a natural phenomenon, just in the way that happiness and joy are, just the way anxiety is, just the way lust is. These are natural consequences. In this case, uh, they're the result of failure feedback. So if we were to look at a person's life that is depressed, we would not find that every moment, every day they're depressed. That is not true. You can look them right in the eyes and see that that's not the case. Yeah. What you're seeing is, is that they are, they are subject to a great deal of cues from the environment that indicates that they are failing in important competitive processes. Those competitive processes are essentially three things. Number one, they're failing in the mating arena. 
they are not getting the kind of feedback uh, with respect to possible mates that they believe that they should be getting. Number two, they're failing in friendship arenas. Uh, or uh, in other words, they're not getting the quantity and quality of friendships that they believe that they should be able to trade for. And finally, they are not getting good feedback in the commercial processes of trade. So in our ancestral history, these were the three major life domains that demanded that we compete with other people in the village. You must compete for mates, you must compete for friends, and you must compete in trade. And so whenever I've seen a depressed person in my career, 30 years of doing psychotherapy, I have never seen somebody that walked through my door that was uh, excited about or that was happy with their mating feedback, that was happy with their friendship situation, and that was happy with their, uh, their job and their career, and that they themselves were mysteriously depressed. Never happened, not once. And so the solution to the problems of depression are the solutions to esteem dynamics. It's a question of figuring out where it is that you are being ineffective and realizing that your depression is our ally. It is a, it is a cueing device to tell us uh, if we learn to read the tea leaves, where is it that you're getting this negative feedback? Who are you getting it from? Why are you getting the negative feedback? Why are you getting um, wh- why are you failing in this competitive arena in the way that you are? And that is where we need to focus our attention. I completely agree with with what you just said about a depression being a cue. Because people will all, always say, you know, I'm just depressed, I'm in pain, and I want it to stop. And we are going to need to stop soon. Oh, boy, we have blown through this this interview. But you'll come back, and we'll do more. But I, okay. I, I, it, it is a natural cue that something telling us something in life is no longer working, and we need to take a long, hard look. But if, if conserving energy is is all about... Um, uh, what's wired into our DNA, the dilemma and the challenge becomes being able to move past that point. And I'm just going to direct our listeners to to go read your book, The Pleasure Trap, Mastering (laughs) the Hidden Force that Undermines Health and Happiness by Dr. Doug Lyle. And thank you for being with us. I want to give your contact information one more time. The website is esteemdynamics.org. And on Twitter, you can find Doug at Dr. Doug Lyle. And here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my wonderful guests today, Dr. David Feifel and Dr. Doug Lyle, wishing you kind thoughts kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet and KBUU and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new broadcast and continue to harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on iTunes and SoundCloud. To learn more about Lisa's global practice as an applied positive psychology coach specializing in lifestyle management as well as addiction and trauma recovery services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Happy, happy.
can tell me what is your